seat. Put an end to your friendliness. All right. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm so grateful for family members and friends who have come to visit with us. Today, we call this Open House Sunday, I guess for lack of a better word, it's just our way of encouraging folks to make, them, make their way here, feel at home, join us for lunch afterwards, and to welcome family and friends who have come to be a part of the baptism celebration that we do. Um, I just want to take a quick moment and just thank the church and so many of you who have been praying for uh, my family, praying for my mom, uh, if you hadn't been aware of her situation. She had been in the hospital for a couple of weeks now and was diagnosed with a lung problem after a foot injury and uh, had been put on some oxygen during that time. And apparently one evening, late Tuesday evening, uh, somehow the oxygen apparatus was disconnected and she went into cardiac arrest and uh, coded for about five minutes they were able to revive her, but uh, they've not been able to help her regain consciousness. So she is uh, on a breathing machine. Uh, we're uncertain as to, as to how she'll be responding, if at all, neurologically. Uh, the damage that was done is unclear at this point. So I could share more just as our trying to interact with her and pray for her and uh, Appreciate you guys praying with us and just the support and encouragement that so many of you have been to us as we walk through that as a family. Um, praying for my, my dad's 95 years old, so you know a whole challenging set of issues for him to understand what's going on and how to adjust to that. So thank you for continuing to pray. We are trusting in the mercy of God. Very grateful that God reveals so much about himself. And one of the things that in this moment it's abundantly appreciated is the mercy of God. God is merciful and we cling to that truth. So please continue to pray for us this coming week. Well, this morning, uh, before I get into the word, can I I just add an encouraging addendum to the announcements that Evan shared with us this Friday evening? Uh, will be a, a unique gathering for us, a, a gathering that we have been seeking an opportunity to create on a regular basis. It would be a, a time of worship and ministry, a time for just being together and waiting on the Lord. It will not be a service like what you're familiar with on a Sunday morning. Uh, we're not going to preach and, and have the other elements that are normally here. But you know, there's aspects to interacting with God that, that you just can't confine to Sunday morning, right? Can I encourage all of us to maybe let God out of his Sunday morning box, right? We create a box for God and we come on Sunday morning and that's prime real estate and we're looking for God to be and do something in our lives. Sunday morning, it's kind of like we give him that little piece of real estate and we say, hey God, 
do really, really big things in this little bitty piece of land that I give you every week. Um, but God wants to get out of his box. And so, you know, we have other settings of ministry that take place. Our covenant group ministry is teaching aspects of ministry that take place. Well, Friday night is, is, a, is a unique time to receive from the Spirit of God. And as we preached last week there, there's opportunities to be filled with the Spirit. There's opportunities to encounter the strength of God uniquely. There's opportunities for your need to encounter the Spirit of God. Your need, whatever it is right now in your life, to encounter the power and the presence of God. One of the greatest things we see in Scripture is God's desire to restore us to his presence. And then how many of us just don't take the time to live in it? And to experience it. So that's what Friday night's about. So I know if you're like me, Friday night is already about something else. And so probably there need to be a little bit of interruption. Or somehow you need a reminder on Thursday night about Friday night. Right? Because you'll just slide into Friday and forget. So I give you permission at this point to break out your electronic device. And to put a note in there. Because it can remind you, I don't know if anybody's ever taught you that, but it can remind you on Thursday evening that you've got something really important on Friday evening. So if you've got an electronic device with you, go ahead and take care of that real quick as we get into the word this morning. Um, well, the title of the message today is One Size Fits All. The answer that works for everyone. Right? You know, we live in an information age. And so there is, there's just tons of information out there available for us at every turn to figure out what to do next and how to answer this problem and that issue in life. So if you just go on, I, I was curious, you go on and you Google a question to the Google universe seeking wisdom from the Google mind. I put these questions out there for Google to give me an answer. What's the most important information in life? I wanted to see what Google had to say. And then I asked this question, what's the most important thing for people to know? All right, so here's a couple of responses. I'll go with the professional response first by Dr. Barton Goldsmith in Psychology Today. His article was the 10 most important things to remember. I'll just pick a few of them for you. Number four, he said, the most important thing to know about yourself is that you are good enough. Number five, the most important thing to feel is that you are loved. Number six, the most important thing to do in life is to contribute to the well-being of humanity. Number 10, he said, the most important thing in life is to feel that you are living it to the best of your abilities. And so everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's living out some realities. What do you think is the most important thing for you to know in your life? Let me move from the professional to the blogosphere. You know, blogging is, is just an electronic form of thinking out loud. It's not always good. Just because they can type it and stick it electronically in front of you doesn't mean you should read it. <laughs> but it's available to us. And so here's a fellow named Bjart Baki in his Rethinking Truth blog. He has a real interesting thought about what's important in life. He says, I don't claim to live a perfect life, nor do I claim to be an expert in how people should live theirs. In my view, there's no such thing as a life expert. We all need to find our own way. What I do claim, however, is to have an opinion of what I believe are the four most important things in life. 
below, I'll briefly mention some factors that have influenced how I've come to my understanding. So far in my life, I've worked with special needs children as a paper boy, as a, as a mailman for NGOs and for two management and consultancy companies. I've traveled the world for 15 months and lived for of my last 10 years abroad, spending a great deal of time speaking to different people all over the world about life and what's important to them. I've listened to the desires and dreams of some of the poorest and richest people on the planet. I've met many people who have had lots of success, but by their own definitions, haven't succeeded in life and vice versa. I've spoken to people who had their, their dear ones taken from them all too soon. And I've had conversations with people at palliative care clinics about what happens to someone who suddenly is told death is only a few weeks away. I believe insight can be gained from stories as the above and from general life knowledge. Over the years, I've created hundreds of models in an effort to represent such insight in a way meaningful to myself and others. Creating models and continually challenging my beliefs through reading and listening to others has arguably become my main interest in life. Below, I'll outline the things I believe are the most important in life for almost every human being. Yes, we're all different, but just as we all need air and water, there are certain other things we all need too. Right, this is an unusual statement that, that something could be absolutely right for everybody. Right? And the guy who begins with a very vague notion of what people might think ends with the thought that there are, there's something that's absolutely right for everybody. Right? So that's where I want to pick him up. But just if you're curious about what his four issues were in his article, he says, one, take care of your health. Two, invest in your relationships. Three, live your values and pursue your dreams. And four, install a positive view of yourself. But let me grab his thought here. There are certain other things we all need. We all have in common. There is, there are, there is a, a reality that one size does fit all. And we're going to encounter something today. We're going to be in Acts, the book of Acts in the scriptures, chapter 10. And we're going to encounter a question here. What does a blue-collar, working-class, non-citizen Jewish boy have in common with the ruling class, politically connected, wealthy, elite Roman soldier? What do those two have in common? You know, if we could export that out of the time frame of history that it's in and import it to our day, we might ask it this way. What does a Harvard-educated MBA Wall Street investment executive have in common with a poorly educated, third-world, health-deficient, middle-aged, Afghan-Taliban fighter? Do those guys have anything in common? Could you say the same thing to both of them that could be equally as meaningful in their lives? Well, you know, when you look here in Acts chapter 10, it's a really interesting story unfolding here. If you guys have been traveling with us through Acts, you know Peter had preached from Acts chapter 10 and kind of gave us a good overview of the whole chapter and this man we get introduced to here. But there's an element to, to what's taking place here. Let me dress it up in some modern language here. This is, this is a cross-cultural top secret arranged meeting going down here, right? Talk on the street would be something big is about to happen. There is 
you know, I don't know if you put this into the movie world. There's this guy named Cornelius, and he's part of a family. And there's this guy named Peter, and he's part of a family. And there's this behind-the-scenes, no-one-knows-about-it meeting being arranged between, you know, I wanted to say between the two families, and immediately I felt like Vito Carleone. You know, (laughs) between the two families. Um, There are extensive issues between these families. These families, you know, maybe it would be a good mafia story. These families live at war with each other. They don't speak highly of one another. They don't meet with one another. They don't go in one another's houses. They don't find each other in each other's territory. There's a lot of issues to overcome to put this Jewish boy named Peter in the household of this Roman Gentile named Cornelius. And God... This is even more interesting. God is at work behind the scenes, brokering the deal and bringing them into the same location, right? Acts chapter 10, verse 19. While Peter was pondering the vision, right? I won't go through this whole chapter, but, but, but God has had to bump into Peter's life in a major way and give him a vision. Peter, the Jewish boy, needed this vision about this sheep being lowered from heaven and the animals that were on it. And God was trying to dislodge him from some issues that would have kept him from ever even going to be in Cornelius' home. He would not find himself on enemy turf. But while Peter was pondering the vision that God had given him, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, and go down and accompany them without hesitation. Now, this just sounds like the mafia, doesn't it? Three men are waiting for you. Don't ask any questions. Just go with them. <laughs> for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for you coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for this story about this man, about these two men, but most importantly, about what you arranged and what was going to be said in this meeting. And Lord, you wrote this down so that we could read it and we could hear a message as well. God, thank you for caring for Cornelius to hear a message. But God, thank you for caring for us to hear a message today as well. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to each of us gathered here this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Right. So here's this situation. You get a little bit of the behind the scenes. God is at work because these issues have got to be overcome. There are, there are issues. And if you just let me say this way, there are issues in people's lives that have to be overcome. Otherwise, none of us are going to find ourselves where God wants us to be. If you look in your life right now and you find Stuff's not going right. Maybe you got maybe you got relational issues that aren't going right. Maybe there's some people right now you'd say I'd never put foot in their house. 
There are things in your heart. There are things that you struggle with. There are things about your past. There are things about who you're related to. There's clan issues or race issues that unless God steps in and does something, you're never going to be different. You're never going to overcome that. Well, that's, that's kind of what we see in Peter and Cornelius. And this is a huge issue. The Bible actually talks about it in other places here. I've recorded the scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. Because this, this, is, the, this is God behind the scenes, right? You've got God on the scene here. got a guy who's getting ready to travel about 40 miles to Cornelius' house. But you don't get to see behind the scenes all that's going on. This is what's going on behind the scenes. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, those of you who were from that family, Cornelius, by the way, is one of them. The Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. I think this is, is filled with sarcasm. People who think they're the in family. They're the ones who got it right between them and God. And they're telling you, you're, you're on the outside, Gentile. Cornelius, you're one of them, uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember, right? Remember this, you Gentiles, that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then there's this great big three-letter word, in the Bible. When you see it, your ears should perk up. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, and he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. There's a a lot here, right? There's issues between Peter and Cornelius that are here. There's racial overtones that are here, but there's something here you might read past a little bit too fast. There's a series of words here that describe Cornelius. They describe every Gentile. And they're words that we might not ever pick up and think the Bible speaks about anybody this way, much less Cornelius or me. Separate. You were at one time separate, excluded, strangers, and having no hope and without God in this world. Right? We, we live in a, in a world that has painted a, a sort of a nice-nice view of God and religion. So the only thing that we've got in our nice-nice view of God is nice-nice vocabulary words. And we don't have any of these. I would have never thought this way about my life. I would have never thought that I was separate from God. I always thought God was kind of, you know, everybody's God's child. God loves everybody. God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. So, you know, separate, excluded. That's one thing God can't be, right? God cannot be excluding. But the Bible says that there were people here excluded. Strangers? No, no, everybody's the family of God, right? See, this doesn't make sense in what I always felt about God growing up. And of course, now listen, I had not read the Bible. So I find the Bible's telling me something a little bit different here. Having no hope and without God, I, 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 never, I never thought I was without God in this world. 
And so there is this massive separation, not just between Peter and Cornelius, but between Cornelius and God. There's this massive separation. That's the reality of his life. Have you ever, have you ever thought that way about your life? Have you ever thought that that's you? That there's this massive separation between you and God? See, that's why that word, but now, screams. Because once, once those other words become real to you, the but now screams at you. Because it says, but there's good news. There's this incredible good news that God has been working <coughs> behind the scenes to erase the issues between you and him, to break down the wall between you and him, right? And you and I get a slow motion replay of this in Cornelius's life in Acts chapter 10. That's what God is doing here. God is busting through the wall that separates Cornelius from God. God is the one doing that. It's not Cornelius breaking through the wall and it's not Peter breaking through the wall. It's God breaking through the wall. Now listen, that, that, that gives me hope in a huge way, not just for my life, but for others' lives. That there is a God who's really good at busting through walls to get to the people that he wants to get to. And he's going to get to Cornelius today. But why is, why is this meeting being arranged, right? What's the, what's the reason for this meeting? Why does Peter need to go to Cornelius' house? Why is God working? Why is God involving supernatural, angelic beings to communicate to these two men to arrange this meeting. Well, verse 22. Cornelius, a centurion, upright and God-fearing, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. Why is this meeting being arranged by God so that Cornelius can hear something. He just, he's just needing to hear something. He's needing to hear a message. He's needing to hear an explanation. That's why this meeting is being arranged. And he's needing to hear something by the time we get to the end of this. It's the same thing that the Jewish boy Peter needed to hear that the Roman elite soldier also needs to hear. As a matter of fact, it's, it's the shoe that fits everybody. It's the same message that works for everyone, no matter where you come from, no matter what your culture, no matter what your age, no matter what your belief, no matter what language you speak. It's the same thing everybody needs to hear. Look in verse 29, Acts chapter 10. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, Peter is now at Cornelius' home. I asked then, why you sent for me? And here's Peter meeting Cornelius. Cornelius, why? Why'd you send for me? Down in verse 33, Cornelius explains. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God, to hear all you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius, why did you send for us? Why am I here? Can I, can I turn that question on everybody here this morning? Why are you here? 
Why did you come here today? What issues in your life, what brings you to a place? I mean, obviously, you know something about church. You've come to church. You know that something gets communicated in church. What, what are you here to listen for? What message is, is going to reach you? What, what, what even makes you want to hear a message? Cornelius wants to hear something. An arrangement's been made. This man wants to hear something. Do, do you want to hear something this morning? Right, everybody, everybody take an internal look for a second. You, know, you have the dashboard in your car. Anybody, y'all know what the engine light is? All right, just be honest here. Be humble and be honest. In spite of the fact your husband's going to have issues with you after you answer this. How many of y'all drive around with your engine light lit on? Yeah, mm-hmm. there we go. There we go. That engine light's trying to tell you something. <laughs> it's trying to tell you there's a problem. <laughs> I remember the worst engine light situation we ever had. My wife was driving around with the engine light not on. Come on, honey, be humble about this. She's on her way to church. At least she was well-intended in where she was going. When suddenly smoke came from the car and the car completely stopped. Well, that would be because the piston had just gone through the side of the engine. When the engine light comes on, it's trying to tell you something is wrong. Uh, Well... Right now, you could be here this morning. You're driving around with your engine light on. Something's not right. Something in your life is not right. You got, you got some kind of need in your life that you just kind of in over your head in life. And something's got you searching to how, how do I shut the engine light off? You know, okay, yeah, dashboards have little lights that come on. You, you have a little set of emotions that come on. You have a little set of thoughts that come on. Right, so your, your emotions have lived somewhere this week. You have felt a certain way about your life. Your thoughts have lived somewhere. Little warning lights have been going off. You know, in a very real way, I think God installs those kind of warning lights so that we will search. That heavy, that thing that you're looking at your life and you're saying, this is, this is horrible, this is cruel. You probably are following it up at some point if you believe in God with the thought of why would God let this? What would God allow for this to happen? What's making you say that is that the warning light is, is throwing you into a panic and a fear. And, and what's going to happen? Am I about to lose something? Is something horrible about to happen? I think God in that moment is sending you a bit of a warning about what makes life work and what makes it not work. And it sends you searching for answers. And so... Are you here this morning searching for an answer? Cornelius is a guy who is searching. Cornelius is looking for something. You read his story, you find a man looking, praying, seeking, wanting to find God in his life. When God goes to work behind the scenes. You know, we heard the stories of the guys that were baptized today, and many of them had stories that, you know, several years ago this happened, and, and now I'm getting baptized. And when you look back on the events of when God stepped into your world, I can look back 1979. This when February of 1979 was when I came to a, a point of saving faith in Christ. Not a, not a point of hearing about Christ, but a point of saving faith in Jesus Christ. But when I look back on that... 
I, I was searching for months before then. I was, I was, I had gone to find a Bible. I was opening the Bible up. I was reading bits and pieces of it nearly every day. Well, what, what made you do that? Well, the engine light was going off for me. Just a teenager. You know, if you heard Tate share, engine lights go off for teenagers. And they kind of let you know, life is bigger than me. Life hurts. Life is filled with uncertainty and fears. Life is filled with people who are there and then gone. That, that's what light, and so your engine light, warning light starts going off. And when it goes off, you start searching. And you either start searching the blogs or you start searching the Bible. I started searching the Bible. And I started searching for God and then that led to an encounter with God. Well, that's what happened with Cornelius here. I think Cornelius is, is experiencing the fulfillment of what God said some 600 years before Cornelius in the book of Jeremiah, verse 29, chapter 29, verse 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord, right? And this is Cornelius, right? When you look in, in Acts chapter 10 and we get introduced to Cornelius at the beginning of the chapter in verse two, he's a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously. So th- this, this search mattered to him so much that he was willing to put up money, right? Sometimes we say stuff matters, but if you won't spend the dime or your energy, or your time on it, Man, let's be honest. It doesn't matter to you. If it doesn't touch your energy and it doesn't touch your time, you don't care about it. That's just reality. Sweetening up all we want and say, oh no, God is very important to me. Does he get any of your money? And does he get any of your time? Well, not really. Well, then he's not important to you. Stop, stop giving some fake salve to God. Well, this man is seeking for God. He gave alms generously to the people. He prayed continually to God. And what does God do? Well, he fulfills what God promised in Jeremiah chapter 29. You will call upon me. You will come and seek me and you, and you will find me. You search for me with all your heart and I will be found by you. Not only will I be found by you, I will arrange a meeting between me and you. I will make the thing happen. I will get people who would have never set foot in your house to come knock on your door and to say, here, I'm here with a message for you. God will arrange all that in fulfillment of what he said. If you'll seek me, you will find me. You know, I wonder if, if the opposite of this verse is true. I will not be found by you who do not seek me who do not call on me and pray to me, who are half-hearted in their interest, I will not be found by you, declares the Lord. Listen, you might have little warning lights going off in your life right now. You might even be angry with God because God won't seem to show up and fix things the way in which you feel like they ought to be fixed if God is good. 
And if God is who he says he is, and we kind of get this attitude about God, like we want a refund. And then here's the reality. Are you really seeking God? I mean, really seeking God or God doesn't get the time of day from me, but he needs to show up here and make things right. Okay, well, listen, if there's nothing else I can do for you this morning, but just to tell you this, the God of the universe does what he does. And he says, you want to find me. You seek me with all of your heart and I will be found by you. And Cornelius' testimony is a testimony of that. It's God finding this man and making sure he hears what he needs to hear. Listen, this is a sobering reality. I don't know if I wrote this in your outline, but I meant to. An unseeking heart is farther away from God here in this meeting this morning than a distant cultural religious outcast whose heart is convinced he needs God. You, you can be right here this morning. You can be growing up with Bibles all over your house. You can be driving down the street and reading every church sign. You can decide to sit through a church service and hear stories about Jesus. And if your heart's not desperate for God, like Cornelius's was, I will not be found by you. I don't even know if you'll have close encounters sometimes. But somebody on the other side of the planet from a totally different culture than yours, totally different background than yours, like Cornelius, can encounter God in a life-changing way. Listen, that's incredibly good news. God really is, as the passage says, no respecter of persons. So what's God's message for the desperate seeker? I'm just going to give you this passage in just a moment. But before I tell you what the Bible says God's message is for the desperate seeker, let me me give a quick self-check for everybody. What is your message for the desperate seeker? The ones you live with the ones you encounter, the ones in your family, the friends that you have, the coworkers in your life who are seeking. Everybody's seeking. When their warning light goes off, they let you know. That's, what, that's why the tears are flowing from their face. That's why they're distant from you. That's why they're cold and they're, they're, their thoughts are all absorbed in something. What's going on in that person? Their warning light is going off and they're seeking. And what do you say to them? Do you just tell them that, hey, listen, it's going to be okay. Everything works out in the end. What, what do you say to them? What, what is your message? What is your message for young people who are traveling through life? You, you know, you got one of those, you just make sure you get your education. That's what, that's what you need. You get your education. Is that, is that your message? Is that, is that what fixes things? Somebody who's in a mess, their life is a mess. What do you tell them? God helps those who help themselves. Come on now. You need to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Is that your message? What's your message, really? What are you, what are you saying to people in this moment? You know, listen, well, next time, if you want things to be different, vote for somebody else, all right? I mean, listen, some people believe that, you know, if we just get the right government in place, they can just, iron, they can shut all of our warning lights off. I mean, you do realize that's never going to happen, Right? But we know what's so revealing about that question is whatever it is that you're telling other people, that's what you've really put your faith in. That's really self-revealing. If you don't sound like what I'm about to read here, then, then you should be concerned where your faith really is. 
you've put your faith somewhere for your own warning light, and now when somebody else's goes off, you transfer your hope to them. That's how we live. So listen carefully here. What does Peter say when he shows up at the doorstep of Cornelius? He is there to say something. That's why God arranged this meeting. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, right? Remember, he's a Jew. He's got a Bible that's been given to the nation of Israel. And he's saying, as for that word that was given to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Here's here's the message that he's going to present and unpack in just a second. It's peace with God through Jesus Christ. Cornelius, that's what I've come to tell you about. Cornelius, you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's that's where you'll find peace. And that's how you can have peace, through Jesus Christ. Now, read the story carefully here, because culturally, I would like to say that Cornelius already had peace with God. Remember, he's a guy who prays, he gives alms. He's well spoken of by the Jewish community, so he's actually treating his enemies well. So certainly this guy's right with God already, isn't he? But if he is, then why does God need to arrange a meeting for a man to come find him and to say certain things to him? Why does Cornelius need to hear? Why is Cornelius saying, I'm eager to hear what you have to say to me? Because he's not at peace with God. He's about to be. Because of what he's going to hear, he's going to hear the gospel that will put him at peace with God. That's what God came to do in sending his son. Verse 37. There's a very interesting thing here, and I want us to make sure we catch it. He is Lord of all, right? That's an interesting statement. He's Lord of all. Lord in the Bible means the boss, the owner. It's it's the word for ownership. He is the owner of all. And it's interesting where he goes next with this. He's about to give you Jesus Christ's resume. You yourselves know, verse 37. What happened through all Judea, beginning with, from Galilee, from the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Now, notice what he does here. I've got a message here. You can have peace with God through this person, Jesus Christ. Well, who is he? He's Lord of all. And that's a good question. If anybody comes to you and says, you can be at peace with God, you should ask, well, how? And if they say through, through a man, you ought to be asking, well, who's he and what makes him so special? Well, let me tell you who he is. He's the Lord of all. He's the owner of everything. Have you seen his resume? And they pull out his resume. Did you hear what he did while he was here? That one event after another, he stepped in and overcame this and he overcame that. Sickness was overcome by him just with a word. He would just, he would just speak to sickness and tell it what to do. And sickness obeyed him. He would speak to demonic forces in people's lives and they would obey him. Who is he? Apparently he's in charge of everything. Because when he speaks, people listen. 
And he went around and he fixed broken lives in, in categories that nobody's ever been able to fix them in. He could step right into the brokenness of their lives and could fix them. Whether it was sickness, whether it was death, whether it was demonic, whether it was emotional issues, Jesus Christ had the power to do that. And listen, that's what makes him so important. Not just the things that he did, but that the things that he did tell you who he was. He was the one who has authority. He was the one who has the power in our lives to do whatever he will. Matthew chapter 4 says, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Remember, I taught this verse a few weeks ago. That word healing, it's not merely in the sense of medical treatment, but in the sense of the real healing that the Messiah brings. Jesus has power to heal the sick and the dead and the demonized and the emotionally distraught. The important, listen, this is important. The important point is the demonstration that with Jesus, God's kingdom has already broken into our suffering world. The real miracle then is not the breaking of natural law, but victory in the conflict for world mastery. What was the amazing thing about Jesus' miracles? That he could, he could have you walk on water. He could just speak to a storm that was blowing violently, and in the next breath, it was just done. I mean, that's dazzling, and that's amazing. But what it reveals about him is what's most important. Not that it was fireworks that had cool colors to them. And we go, oh, wow, did, did you see that? Did you see what happened there? The miracles only happened to direct us to, to ask the question that the disciples asked when they'd freak him out. Who is this man that he can do these kinds of things? That's the right question. And that is, by the way, why God did what he did. To show his creation, I'm Lord of all. I, I can do whatever I want with my creation. Do you know anybody else who can do that? Have you ever met another person who can do that kind of thing in your life? Can, can Buddha do that? Buddha taught a bunch of ideas about ways in which if you will take those ideas and live them, you will transcend life and you will experience a different life. Buddha was not a miracle worker. Muhammad, the Quran, doesn't supply any miracles that Muhammad did. None. Matter of fact, it sort of teaches that he didn't have the ability. He had the ability to be a messenger, but not the ability to do miracles. Jesus Christ went around doing whatever he wanted, turning on and off switches whenever he wanted to. On, off, on, off, because he had the authority to do that. Listen, we're, we're all kind of familiar with having a little bit of power, right? right? When you walk in your home, you got a little power, don't you? Right? I mean, Neanderthal, man, we're standing there with a torch and you walked over and flipped the switch on, he'd be impressed by you. You think, wow, whew, white man got power. Turn on the lights. Do that again. He'd be impressed. But you know, you, you, you got borrowed power, right? Where's our, our energy lineman? He knows you're just borrowing power from the company that makes it. Right, so it's getting provided for you from another place. You know, there's a guy over in the Intergy power plant who's got a big switch that if he threw it, boom, everybody goes dark and you got no power now. That's why Jesus stood before a pilot and said, you like your switch, pilot? 
my father's got a really big switch and he turns it on and turns it off however he wants to. You got no authority. I got all the authority. Jesus has got something nobody else has. Jesus, Jesus has the master key to life for every one of us. Now, the, other, the other day, this is, this is the kind of authority I have here as the senior pastor of this church. The other day, some kids walked into my office. They were here for a Royal Ranger event, and they couldn't, they couldn't get into the closet that has the bouncing balls in it. Evening's just about over. They come running into my office and say, do you have a key to the closet with the bouncing balls? I turn to them and say, I have a key that unlocks every door here. <laughs> they looked at each other like, <laughs> that's as impressive as I get. But, you know, I remember actually growing up, you know, the guy with the keys, he was impressive, right? You know, you can remember this being 10 years old and you're at school after hours, you put your 50 cents in the Coke machine. And nothing came out. You got hours before your parents get here. Oh, I got no Coke. You're shaking the machine. You're looking. You're kicking it. You're doing everything. And here comes a guy with the giant key ring. He comes walking up. And you, you plead your case to him. I put my money in. And, I get it in. and he walks over, you know, all official. Takes out the key. Puts it in there. And you're with your friends there. And he, and, he, and he opens it. And you see the guts, the insides of the Coke machine. It's, I don't know, it's like the Wizard of Oz or something. It's like... Oh, and you turn to your friends, it's like, he opened the machine. I mean, you knew those keys were important. You knew he was important. Anybody who had that many keys is important. But he unlocks it. And so where the Coke machine was broken now, oh, all is good. And he, he closes it back up, punches it, and walks off. You're like, my hero. That guy had a key that opened it. All right, well, this is, this is the son of God showing up with the master key. He can turn the key in any lock. You, you got emotional issues? He's got, he's got the key. You got physical issues? He's got the key. You got eternal issues? He's got the key. That's why it matters what we believe about him. That's why one size, because there's only one person who's got that key. And that one size does fit all. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how diverse your background is. There's one person with the key. He's the son of God. Revelation chapter three, verse seven says this about him. The words of the holy one, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. There's no other religious figure who has those kinds of credentials. Only Jesus Christ has that. But they killed him. Right? That's what this story says. We're witnesses. They put him to death in verse 39 by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear to us. Right? Can you imagine uh, the devil thinking that he has killed the Messiah? The one shot for redemption and he's over there in that tomb. And up walks God with his key. Opens it up. Can you imagine that moment? What's so amazing about that? That God can move big stones? That God can cause the heart to beat again? Is that what's so amazing? What's so amazing is that he has the authority to do whatever he wants to do. And he can do that for anybody. He's doing it for Cornelius in this story. Verse 40. 
one, not all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. I wonder if I could interest anybody here in forgiveness of sins. I wonder if, I wonder if there's a value for that anymore in people's lives. Right, this one being told of in this story, at the end of time, he has all authority. And he's going to exercise that authority on every human being in one of two ways. He will exercise his authority to be the judge. Or he will exercise his authority to forgive sins. Every person will receive one of those responses from this one with the key. He will sit as a judge. Or he will sit as the forgiver of sins. And you and I live in a plastic world, cheap trinkets, gadgets and little fix-me-up items and stuff to make me feel better by the end of this week. Most of us don't think past a month from now, much less eternity. So how valuable is it for your sins to be forgiven? Do you remember the story? The day Jesus met a paralytic and his friends brought him there to be healed. It's a very interesting story because the man comes and he's paralyzed. He's paralyzed. I can't imagine a more difficult life. And Jesus turns to the man and he says what? Your sins are forgiven. Well, that's nice, Jesus, but that's really not why we're here. I don't think you noticed, but he can't move. He's a paralytic. He needs his physical body to be healed. I know, you know, that's, that's cool. You got forgiveness. That's great. Well, of course, Jesus says that. The crowd freaks out saying, well, right. Remember what they said? Now, that, now they're going to ask the question, who do you think you are? Now it is a matter of who he is, isn't it? See, when you go to tamper, it's one thing you're not going to heal somebody. That's one thing. But you're going to forgive their sins? Now the question is, who are you? Well, who do you think you are, dude? Standing here telling us. And Jesus explains himself. Just wanting you to make sure you understand that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus accomplishes a mission here. What was the greatest need in that man's life? That paralytic who was lying on the ground who couldn't move. His warning lights are going off constantly. The despair, the hopelessness, the physical infirmity and need that he's experiencing. What's the remedy to this light going off inside of him? What what does he need from God? He needs to have his sins forgiven. Who would have thought? That's what Cornelius needed of all that's going on in Cornelius' life. Who he needed to meet, the message he needed to hear. Cornelius, you're a good guy. 
You're a caring person. You're actually a person who prays and you're seeking after God. But he knows I still need something. God knows you still need something. You need to hear something. What did you need to hear? What is it that you need to hear? Well, it's, it's about hearing something. Is that right? Is, is fixing your life this morning about you hearing something? Is that, is that what it boils down to? Yes. It's exactly what it boils down to. It boils down to hearing the gospel about this Jesus Christ who had all authority to unlock your life, to take it for his own, to control and be responsible for everything about you from now on in your life. All the weaknesses, all the sickness, all the future, all the provision, all the things that you're afraid of, all the things that inside of you are making your little engine light go on and on and on and on. What's it trying to tell you? It's trying to tell you to give your life to the one who has the key to your whole life. There's only one. No matter who you are, right? We're all over the place here. Do these people all have different needs? If God's arranging a meeting, is he going to arrange a different meeting for something different to be said to Taylor Swift than he's going to be saying to the Taliban? Does he have a different message for the two of them? If Peter was still available to be hoisted into a meeting, with others, and he was being sent, and it was arranged to meet with Taylor Swift, or it was being sent to be arranged with a man in the Taliban, would he be saying something different to them? No, he would not. Because both souls are in the same place of need for the same God, who is Lord of all, to step in and forgive their sins and bring them to being at peace with God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Man or woman, black or white, rich or poor, everybody needs to be reconciled to God. Let me ask Eric to come back up here. All right, back to my question to you. Why are you here? What did did you come to hear? today are, are you are you are you seeking god I mean, really right now in your life are you seeking god I, I can tell you this if you're here and you are seeking god something already already is invading your heart that's what happened to cornelius peter didn't get to finish his message before he found in his heart what god had intended him to receive Now, maybe you're already here and that's already happening. Maybe already in your heart, you're hearing that. Oh, that's where my peace and my life will come from, from him, from Jesus Christ, from the one who holds the key. Listen, the thing that separates us from that peace is our sin. That paralytic had just encountered a new body and his sins were not forgiven, he's still not at peace with God. He can just walk around now and not be at peace with God. What did he need? He needed to be restored to God. Listen, can I just tell you, your little engine light that keeps going off, if you you stop ignoring it and driving around like some of our wives do, and you 
Pick up the owner's manual. That little light's trying to tell you something. It's trying to tell you to be at peace with God. You need to be at peace with God. I, I, I know you think you need your body to be healed. I know you think that you need that relationship to get fixed. I, I know you think that you need provision in your life and your business doesn't need to fail. I know that's what you think that thing means, but when you pick it up and read, you're going to find out it's trying to say, you need to be at peace with God. And there's one who holds the key who will unlock your world. And he will give you peace with God if you will put your faith in him and turn to him. And I want to give you a chance to do that. Let's stand up together. Let me just ask everybody, if you just bow, bow your head. I just want you to have a conversation with God. You're here this morning partly because you got in a car, drove here, accepted an invitation. And partly because God has been at work behind the scenes getting you here. Peter showed up at Cornelius' house because God arranged that. In 1978, when my engine light was going off, God was behind the scenes arranging to send someone to me. And then to make sure that I would be there to hear what that person had to say. I should never have made that meeting except God made sure. This morning, Perhaps your engine light's been going off and God has made sure to get you here. He has worked behind the scenes through a friend's invitation to bring you here this morning so that he could tell you something that you've been needing to hear. Jesus Christ holds the key to your life. And if you will turn to him this morning, Stop resisting. Stop doing anything that you're doing on your own and surrender your life to him. Put your faith in him. Turn away from any sin that you know you're committing and turn to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you, son of God, Lord of all, owner of everything. You who overcame death, you who died to forgive me of my sins. Lord, today, today, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. And give me peace with God. From this moment forward, give me peace with God to live my life following you, bringing pleasure and glory to you. I pray that this morning, right here, right now. Listen, if you are here and you prayed that prayer, Cornelius received that in this exchange with God. It changed his whole world. 
1979, I prayed a prayer just like that. It changed my whole world. This morning, God will change your whole world. So if you've prayed that prayer, I'd, I'd love for you to do this. If you've got the guts to do it, maybe I don't even know you and you'd be introducing yourself to me. I'll hang around up here. Just come and tell me. Come and tell me that. If somebody invited you today, tell them that. Hey, I, I prayed that prayer for Jesus to forgive me my sins and to give me his life. Make sure you share that with somebody today. Well, let me just encourage you guys, if, if you are new to the church and you'd like to join us for lunch today, uh, on your way out, just take a right, go up the stairs. Uh, some great food available. Great chance for you to meet some folks that maybe are new in the church that God will connect you with. Uh, if you're visiting first time, we'd love to have you come join us. It's a free meal. Don't worry about, you don't have to pay for anything. Just enjoy. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you. We thank you for your persistent, insistent pursuit of a man named Cornelius. Thank you that you are still the same today. You find us, you reach us, and you tell us what we need to hear. We need to hear about your son who gives us peace through his death on the cross and the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, Thank you for this message that never dies and thank you for the fact that it fits every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.